0: Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, and extremely excited for today's guest, Tony Ponturo, along with my co-host, Andy Dolich. And it, it's certainly an honor to have Tony on as, as he's had quite the quite the career uh, and journey through the industry that we all work in. And uh, Tony's going to share some wisdom about what he's learned through the years, uh, not only on the brand side, but just how it relates to sports uh, as a whole and andy's known him for a few years and uh, a few a few and uh, i will let him kind of kick it off here
1: so yeah it it is a few thank you for being diplomatic jake um (laughs) Uh, You know, I was always thinking about when you're working for a global brand like Anheuser-Busch, especially as it relates to sports, and as people know, I've cycled through all of them, or most of them, um, you know, incoming phone calls to your desk, Tony, when there were phone calls, and it wasn't all the computer world. But just for those that don't know you, if you could give us a quick gps about you know in high school when you were looking around going boy i wonder what i'm gonna do when i grow up uh kind of zoom us through uh zoom yeah kind of zoom us through uh how you got into this business and and what you're doing today
2: sure well, thanks. First of all, uh, Andy and Jake, thanks for having me uh, in this sort of crazy time. Keeps, this helps keeps me sane, talking about our business. Um, I was uh, one of those gentlemen, young kids that only knew sports, loved sports, played sports, was captain of the high school football team, even at 5'7 and 150 pounds. So I guess that I started with my pugnaciousness even back then. Um And took an aptitude test, went to Villanova, and, and was like 100 was good and zero was bad. And doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, I had like 5%, but business was 95%. So it's like, okay, how do I take sports and business and put those two things together? Um, became a page at NBC, worked the first Saturday Night Live back in October of 1975 with George Carlin as the host. Um, and actually, Dick Ebersol, longtime head of NBC Sports, was the young, twenty-eight-year-old or so VP of late night for NBC Sports back then. Although he wasn't talking to me, but I wasn't that much younger at probably twenty-two, twenty-three. Started with advertising agencies as a media buyer back when there were really just three networks to to to, to date the time it was ABC, CBS, and NBC, and that was it. And ended up. Eventually, on the Anheuser-Busch business, had an agency, and after six months, I was thirty years old. They said, "This was December of of eighty two. We're going to start using sports to sell beer." Uh, Anheuser-Busch had maybe a twenty two market share back then with Budweiser, Michelob, and Bush. Uh, Bush was regional. Bud Light didn't exist, and many of the other brands didn't exist. Philip Morris Marlboro cigarettes owned Miller Light and Miller Lite already had a seven-year head start as a light beer in, in the beer category. And so so they brought a 30-year-old uh, to uh, St. Louis uh, from New York City. I was a New Jersey, North Central New Jersey kid. And uh, what am I getting into? But in October of 82, all those sports fans realized it was the Cardinals Brewers World Series. So as I was Spending a little time with Anheuser-Busch for that six months. St. Louis looked like a pretty vibrant place. Um, and, for, for, and then the World Series was over, and I said, where, where did everybody go? <laughs> but uh, but uh, that said, we literally started. Mike Rorty was the head of marketing, a guy by the name of Chuck Fruit, who went on to Coca-Cola eight years later, did, doing all their global work, was, was my direct boss. And we literally put together property by property, both locally and nationally, uh, step by step. And that's where Andy and I first met when he was with the Oakland A's. And And from 82 to probably 1990, we accumulated essentially 90% of every professional team in this country on their local broadcast, signage, trademark, et cetera. Um, and then started to do the same on a national basis um, with official beers of the various leagues and NASCAR. And before I left in '08, uh, when we got bought by essentially 3G Capital, which is Inbev today, we had a 50 market share and probably well over 50 brands. So um, to, to sort of uh, summarize, after that, I actually was crazy enough to. Uh, actually produced some Broadway shows. I came back to New York and did a play about Vince Lombardi, did another play about Magic Bird and uh, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and their relationship. And then another play about the Yankees. So I sort of took that love of sports and that relationship of sports and tried to take it to Broadway in the sense of content and tell their stories Um, And now I consult on the sports basis, uh, and then I also work with the students at Columbia University who are getting master's in sports management and sort of try to guide them outside the classroom. You know, the the professors and the adjuncts at Columbia do a great job of teaching them their courses, but I try to give a perspective. Okay, once you get in this industry, you know, everyone's smart, but what starts to separate the smart ones from the successful ones I believe is sort of the human element of business and real partnerships and real friendships that last, you know, 40, 40 plus years. It is amazing.
1: Yeah, it is amazing to talk about teamwork, especially in today's day and age where everybody's trying to figure out, okay, what happens next? Um, and for, you know, at least in my experience in dealing with Tony and some of the other major brands, their teams, I mean, you talked about Chuck Fruit and many other names that you had. It, it wasn't just one or two people, right? And it wasn't just the brand or the brands. You guys had a hell of a team, I'm thinking. And you probably had some great arguments internally, like, should we do this or that? But you have those friendships forever. I, I'm sure you knew Walter Dunn at Coca-Cola, who was, you know, sort of there, uh, Tony Ponturo or Michael Lynch at Visa. And you're talking about, I don't know how many clients you had from leagues and teams and Olympics. How did, how did you do that? How did, how did that work where everybody wanted your money and everybody wanted your brand?
2: Was, well, the best was, thing that happened, and as you say, people like Peter McLaughlin, who ran our media, who is part of our team, right. and Mark Lamping, and Steve Uline in sports marketing, and Mark Wright, who's now at AT&T, and all these people, we were all there for 20 plus years, but then they went on to do some amazing things beyond Anheuser-Busch, some of them CEOs of, you know, professional teams, sports teams, but the biggest thing, I think, Andy, was August Bush the who was our CEO, uh, understood that this was a unique business. Um, this may be surprising even to you, but no one at Anheuser-Busch was under co- an employment contract. Wow, we that is. That is We, that we is worked surprising. At, at the pleasure of the CEO every day, and, and we were empowered. So the deal was, listen. I know this is unique. This is sports and media and broadcasts and all this stuff. So I'm going to hire you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to empower you. Um, and if you lose my trust, then, you know, you know, to just keep walking out the door. <laughs> but he kept, the, you know, and, and we see it a lot today and, and not to be critical, but sometimes you get too many chefs in the kitchen that are not really, understand the nuance of our business and not that it's brain surgery but but there are these relationships and sometimes you have to say you know it's not it's it's not procurement it's not a commodity it's not like buying rice and aluminum and glass and it's like give me the flexibility to do this deal and i'll get it back even more because of the relationship I've, i've i've built and so we had 150 people. I think, as you know, but the audience may not know. We actually did all the business in-house, so we did not use right. an agency. Um, obviously, I came from the agency world and respect the, the work that that's done. But, but we all were Anheuser Busch employees and and spent 600 million, 700 million dollars a year uh, across this. And and the number one thing I used to say to folks, I said, "Listen, even though we were probably one of the top." one, two, three to five largest sports sponsors in the country, our job ultimately was to grow our market share and our sales of business. You know, there was no there was no medal at our company to say, oh great, you know, you, you spent a lot of money in sports, aren't you great? It was
1: yeah. <laughs> how much that. beer how much beer are you selling?
2: Exactly. You know, <laughs> and so thankfully over that period of time, you know, we grow a, a half to one market share points a year, you know, thanks to a lot of things. I mean, the whole thing worked great creative over the years, but we were, you know, but we were able to get out in front. You know, we did multi-year deals, as you know, on a local basis. Yeah. And then it was interesting when Disney bought ESPN for, I believe it was $18 or $19 billion. Uh, I got a call, you know, this was before I think, you know, the smartphones and everything from our studio and said, you know, you know, why did or how did Disney buy ESPN? Because they're not even as big as we were. And so after I gave him some of my thoughts, he said, I tell you what, you know, they're going the the price of network television and broadcast television is going to go up because they're going to need to pay off that $19 billion. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so go ahead and start tying up long term deals on a national level as well. So so that's when we started going to a to a broadcaster and saying, okay, you have the Super Bowl and you have NASCAR and you have baseball and you have whatever each network had. And We started doing three or five year deals, not worried about the rest of other advertisers or what the marketplace may be three years from now. It was, let's let's lock up these properties that make sense for us, obviously leverage the long-term deal on a firm basis with, with low inflation, but let's tuck these things under our umbrella versus our competition. And then our, our wholesaler system, our distribution system knew, okay, you have the Super Bowl for the next five years, you have Monday Night Football, you have the world series you know, NBA finals, et cetera, Stanley cup. And now you can go and and build activation programs and promotion programs around them, knowing that you had them for a period of time. So.
1: Yeah. And and the, you know, the quality and class of the people who were in the industry um, it, it almost didn't matter that the contract could be 25 pages long but you had the trust of people at the team or the league or vice versa. And, you know, you dealt with a lot of very smart people. You probably dealt with people who were dumb as a brick uh, on the team basis. They will go nameless, but it was, it was that personal relationship and the trust that you had because you didn't know if a team was going to win the world series and, you know, Spuds McKenzie was going to be the star of their ad campaign, or a frog. But you, you probably figured out, okay, that group of people, or that ownership, or that sport, they're going someplace, and we're going to attach ourselves to them.
2: Well, we, 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 we also, you know, we understood. It, 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 it's interesting. It may sound a little corny, but. Adolphus Bush, when he started the company in the 1850s, um, he had a saying, which is making friends is our business, and that permeated throughout our company. And so we didn't feel we were the 900 pound gorilla with all this money. It was I need to build a relationship with Andy Dolich because I want him to do business with us versus our competition and if and if all dollars were equal, I wanted that tiebreaker to be. I would rather spend time with Tony and Peter and Mark mm-hmm. than I do with the other guys, you know. And right. so it it was. It, and you realize again that that it was um, a back and forth, and and so many things would come up during a season or the length of a contract. As you say, I mean, I was there twenty six years. I, I can't even think of any time that. That a contract was questioned or 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 uh you know we had a dispute or what have you, you just worked it out if if all of a sudden something came up or if audience was down or something did not meet a, objectives, you figured it out you know yeah. and uh and thankfully, you know the spirit of the corporation, the company that you know was you know I, I, we're gonna allow you to do that um because we, because there was an understanding that this was a unique kind of business. And, yeah, and that so was...
1: yeah, Jake, I'll put you on the spot. I threw something in there. Do you have the slightest idea who Spuds McKenzie is or was?
0: No, no.
1: And you're going to and you Do you believe no. that? Do you believe that this young man doesn't know <laughs> Spuds McKenzie? How's that possible?
2: Well, can you, you give
1: know... a, can you give him a thirty second Spuds McKenzie primer?
2: Spuds Mackenzie was a part of a Bud Light campaign when Bud Light, Bud Light was introduced in 1985. So what is that, you know? So and, and a long time ago, a long time <laughs> ago. Long time. Yeah, my my brain can't add up that. And, and so, Spuds Mackenzie was a sort of white bulldogish dog with a black eye, uh, sort of a black mark over its eye that like gave it a black eye. <sighs> That that hung out with three uh, very attractive women as part of a campaign, and of course the dog was was the uh, was the highlight of the of the show, and it became, you know, we're we're with Spuds and Spuds McKenzie, and at one point during the Olympics, we actually had Spuds through the magic of television doing pole vaults and stuff like that as part of an Olympic campaign. But uh, uh, so yeah, so it was one of the first. I probably icon Bud Light like commercials uh, that went for followed by I Love You Man and Yes I Am and all sorts of things like yeah, that. Yeah, Jake,
1: you're going to have well, to go online and look at that because one of my proudest moments with the Oakland A's and we had a pretty good baseball team is I can just see it right now. We had the stretch limo come into the Coliseum <laughs> to home plate <laughs> with these voluptuous bud light girls with spuds coming out as part of the pregame ceremonies. Uh, you know, my parents wasted a lot of money in college, but I was proud of that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Andy, Andy, I'll have to do my homework on, on something probably called YouTube or uh, that exists, right? And, and then... uh, yeah, you could find, yeah, sort of okay. like
1: back to the future. So Tony, <laughs> Yeah, uh, to to flip the, the switch for a second, sure. we find ourselves in a circumstance that, you know, nobody has the pandemic playbook, nobody. Um, and it's, it has been sport that has been so much a part of the discussion. I mean, clearly, the health and wellness of the world is just a tad more important than sports. But Without getting into details, as you try to look in the crystal ball about when, you know, when the question of when is answered and who knows when, but what are two or three things that go through your mind about the how? How is sport going to be reintroduced to marketplaces around the world? Well, take North America. We won't go global.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and. Let me start with the, the basis of that, which is, I think this would be the first time, and I may don't mean to say this cynically, being a marketer with, 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 with a consumer product group, where the awareness that the consumer, which is us, right, is really the underwriter of sports. I think there's a feeling that billionaire owners write a check, that a broadcaster writes a check from the petty cash drawer to underwrite sports. Whereas the reality, as we know, is that the consumer buys a product, whether it be beer or soft drink or airline or whatever, that then buys sponsorship, which provides revenue, or we go to a game and we buy merchandising and licensing, or we subscribe to Turner or ESPN or what have you. So at the end of the day, us the consumer which is now at 20 percent unemployment um and people out of work and people trying to understand where things are going are really the underwriters of sport and so i feel there's going to be that first of all awareness that 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 we drive that engine and and so how healthy are we coming out of this that's going to make sports healthy so i i I lay that in as not a happy premise but a but a a premise um
1: yeah and I, i think it's also important we use the word um us the fans the consumers we trust brands um and not that we don't trust our sports teams but we also trust brands and they've been part of this teamwork in a lot of different categories and Tony, I know you've been interviewed a lot. I have uh, about what's next. And the only thing that I see lacking in the current circumstances, the true teamwork across leagues, broadcasters, digital deliveries, with still a lot of individuals. This is what our league's going to do. This is what our event's going to do. But we're all the same industry, right, at the end of the day?
2: Absolutely. I do think we are an industry that looks – to some leadership for, to follow now. And, and, and all, we, we all know the commissioners and they're all smart, but, but I do think there's a little bit of, of, you know, whether it's going to be Adam, which you te- who tends to have been a leader in all of this to Roger all the way down the line. And you don't really want to necessarily pinpoint everyone, but I do think there's a little bit of, of what are we all going to do? I think that, um, no one wants to rush this, obviously. Um, and uh, and I think we're all not so clear about how the testing. And I heard an interesting comment from someone recently, which is, well, if some of these leagues start to get this testing to, to perform, even without an audience, you know, is that does that upset some people? Which is, well, if you can't get tested in Queens, New York, but you can get twes- tested in Las Vegas to play a game you know, how does that feel? So I think how this comes across from a public, you know, society standpoint is key. I think if sport sports looks at all like it's, it's and, and I don't, I'm not seeing this, but that it's a, a money grab of some sort, or we got to get going so, so players can get paid and our leagues can get healthy. Now, they should be able to get healthy like any other company. But I don't see sports. I don't think sports, as much as it's been my career for forty years, having an advantage versus other economic uh, sectors that have to get healthy as well. So how right. do we all do this together? Mm-hmm. And that's going to be yeah. Tony. Yeah.
0: Go ahead, Jake, Tony and maybe is, you could bring is,
2: us
1: uh, bring us to the uh, Clydesdales, and we can let Tony go back go to the, uh,
0: I have I have I have seen that commercial so to be fair I'm one for two. One for two from the free throw line. Um you know I think one of the questions that anyone's facing in any business Tony right now and you talked about the relationships earlier uh that that these partnerships are built on it's how do you have that conversation with the partner right so you were on you were on the other end uh on the buying side and there's teams you know you put yourself back in that seat today you know there's teams going you know, Tony, are you gonna spend yeah what I mean, what are some of those conversation tips that you might have as you are building a relationship through this time as look, we all don't know what's gonna happen, but it's currently um to your point, not necessarily looking at the contract details, but it's kind of that what can we do for you? How can we help?
2: yeah, I think you know the conversation really has to be both ways because let's just take if you're Budweiser just to use that as an example you know and but you know and Bud Light in the combination of both you know I don't know what their exact sales are but obviously sales are down you know they they need to make their own company healthy you know and that goes across the board and so there's going to be a little bit of games missed will be money to the bottom line you know I don't think If everything, you know, just hypothetically, which we don't always like to talk, if everything's crammed into September, December, advertisers are not going to need all that pressure, uh, all that advertising. So if there's football, NBA, MLB, MLS, you know, tennis, golf, everything, it will be more content than is needed by sponsors, particularly sponsors who are trying to get back on their feet. And so there's going to have to be an understanding of this, which is we can we can we, we want to be a good partner. Yes, we have contracts that that we have to figure out how to work out, but we may need to extend things in out years um, because right now we're not that healthy. And so everyone's going to have to understand the health of, of each other's business. Um, and that's where this true partnership is going to come into play, which is, you know, you can't. You can't put a gun to my head and say, well, we're ready to play if I've lost 40 percent of my business or I'm an airline, you know, Southwest Airlines, who's a big sports sponsor, who's who's, you're down 60 percent of business, 70 percent of business. And then you're expected to be healthy right away. You're you're, from the sponsorship standpoint, you just will not be and cannot be. So this is where, you know, everyone holding hands and doing it the right way is going to have to come into play.
0: And and from a reach-out standpoint, whether it's from, you know, you mentioned it's got to be both ways, right, in the partnership. But from a reach-out standpoint, I mean, at what point does the conversation, um, you know, shift from just a personal how are you doing to business? Uh, and I'm sure there's some uh, situational awareness with that as well, right?
2: Yeah, I think it's going to have to be honest talk. If I'm, if I'm the sponsor, if I'm, you know, I'm saying... Here's where I'm at. Here's here's my reality. Understand and and hearing the reality from the team or the league, and depending on where the deal is, how do we how do we get this thing started in a right way? How, you know, how can we bring dollars and resources to this? You know, call it last quarter of the year. But but yes, we've left some money on the table because we've been quiet for two or three months let's figure out how we can make that whole or better in the out years or, or extend a year what have And I think the broadcast community will be doing the same thing in, in the sense of, of rights as well. So it, it's, it's just gotta be honest talk and, and, and there's no room for bullies or or smart Alex or, or there's no pride of, well, you know, and I'm just saying this for the purpose of the conversation Well, we're the NFL and, the hell with you. They're not saying that, but those conversations I don't think will exist, but they can't exist under what's going on. So everyone, everyone's got to hug each other a little bit and figure out how to, how to do this in a healthy way. Um, and I think that's going to, and I think the consumer's going to watch this as well because the consumer's going to say, well, how are you bringing me back into the equation relative to ticket sales, merchandising, licensing, you know, you know, what have you, and if you recognize what I've been through um, and I would suggest that a lot of sponsorships should also be carving out money with leagues and teams to put, to put resources into, you know, recognizing our health workers and law enforcement and everyone, you know, for that matter, you know, people in the grocery lines that are, that are, and, 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 pharmacies that are working through all of this to, to keep us all you know with food and, and 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 the right you know medicine and stuff that we need so it it, it, it it's it's got to come across as again we're all in it together and no one can get a step ahead of head we all should just walk through this at the same pace that's healthy for everybody
0: and i and I, as go ahead jake as we, i go you know, one more question as we kind of wrap up and, and then Andy can, you can take us home. But, um, you know, it, in all this, you got to still see some opportunity and some ability to whatever you're doing, whatever kind of business you've got um, or whatever part of the industry you're in, you know, an ability to step back and, and look at things, change things, see how you can do something different. Obviously, strategies need to change how and and where are you looking from an opportunity standpoint if you're a, if you're a brand
2: well i think if you're a brand and i think there's been you know some recognition of this already you've 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 connected to things socially uh that have been outside sport um and and we as consumers have found ways to you know probably find time to do things that we didn't expect whatever that may be i i i tend to be a believer that, that television ratings will be down a good 10% or so because we won't spend as much time, you know, though we'll, we'll, in one respect we'll rush to the content, but we, we won't be as fanatical about it. There's sort of a perspective here that I think is going to take place and all we have to do is, you know, spend a little less time and, and a 10 or 15% drop can happen. So, So I think you know, advertisers have been finding other ways to do things from a social media standpoint. And so, and I don't think they'll see they're connecting. And with the millennial, not to belabor the point, the, the millennials already want you to connect more directly with them in sponsorship. You know, they don't want you to say, well, we're Budweiser, we're Coca-Cola, we're the sponsor of the Oakland A's, you know, enjoy our products because we're a great sponsor. They want it, They want to know more, well, what's in it for them in that sponsorship that you're doing that's fun and exciting that brings them into it? And, and now even more so, I think. So that connectivity is going to be real as we go forward. Well,
1: I can say on behalf of hundreds, if not thousands of uh, businessmen and women, uh, and those people that, you know, like a beer and like Broadway. I'm sort of glad that you didn't grow to be six three, two forty, 240 <laughs> um, and never have gone into the business that you went into, Tony, because it wouldn't have been the kind of wonderful ride and the ability to become friends in so many different areas with so many different people. And the, you know, the quality and professionalism that that you represent, along with the team of individuals and projects that you've worked in. So we really appreciate your time today and stay safe and sane.
2: Thank you both. Thank you, Eddie. Thank you, Jake. Appreciate it.